Well, good morning. I am delighted to see you here this morning. And if you weren't awake when you walked in, you are awake now. What a great song. And as a matter of fact, um, it goes hand in hand with the scripture we're going to read and that we are going to study in these next few moments. And will you turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Romans? This is the sixth uh, letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, if you were to arrange them chronologically. And we're going to uh, study three verses in these next few moments. While you're turning to Romans chapter 1, let me just say to you that um, Diana and I have appreciated so very much your hospitality. We, we always have a great time here. And uh, I meant what I said uh, a few weeks ago online here in this virtual worship service that we were need, in need of a Sherwood hug, and boy, have we ever gotten it. And uh, we thrive on that. You all have been so gracious to us. And so uh, uh, after the worship service and the activities of this afternoon, we'll bid a very, very fond adieu for a while and uh, hope to see you again in the not-too-distant future. We're excited about Michael and Terry being here Easter and for the following few Sundays. That's going to be a great time. You talk about a baptism of love. That is going to be a really, really wonderful time. We've uh, talked with him, texted with them uh, almost every day now for months and uh, know of their love for you and your love for them and uh, we know you're lifting them up in your prayers. We've talked repeatedly about what a strange season this is. You know, somebody, somebody said to me that uh, his, his friend asked him if staying at home during this COVID situation was creating any kind of tensions between him and his wife. And he said, absolutely not. He said, we get along perfectly well. He said, now I will tell you, there was a moment when she, she, she hollered down from upstairs. I didn't quite understand it. She said, honey, do you, do you get a sharp pain between your shoulders like somebody's made a voodoo doll and sticking pins in it? And he said, no, why? And she said, uh, well, how about now? <laughs> about that little bit. He said, it was a little testy around our house for, for a while. The title of the message this morning is Known. Known. How are you known? Now, Diana and I have had um, uh, an, an even dozen friends who have passed away over the past 12 months. Uh, almost uh, every one of them, not every one of them, but almost every one of them, uh, either with COVID or uh, with some kind of COVID-related uh, difficulty. Of course, when you're our age, we know more people who uh, have difficulties like that. On several occasions, I've been asked to speak at the memorial service, at the funeral of this person. So on, on several of those occasions, it is because I had the privilege in days gone by of leading someone 
to a saving knowledge of Christ, of, of sharing the gospel with them. And so the family would call me and they would say, uh, Brother Tom, we know that um, you shared the gospel with dad or with my husband. And uh, would you, is there any way in the world that you could, that you could do this? And of course, as best I could, uh, and as often as I could, I, I would do that. Now, it's interesting that, that when we would gather in the days prior to the funeral service, uh, inevitably the family would say something like this. Now, now, dad or mom would want, first of all, the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified in this service because if it weren't for him, they wouldn't be spending their forever, this person wouldn't be spending his forever or her forever in heaven with God. And so, of course, we know you always give an invitation, which I always do at a, um, at a, at a funeral service. I always share the gospel. But then, as we continue to talk, they would also say something like this. Now, now you will, uh, of course, mention about dad's, you know, and then they'll mention some really humorous uh, thing about his personality, something that he liked or something that he didn't like. And, uh, oh, well, you know, you all went to Israel together. Remember when he, you know, you, you, will you mention something about that? And what they were saying was, we want, we want uh, to have fond memories of some specific characteristics that dad or mom possessed. That's the way, that's the way they, were, they were known. Now, as we sit here uh, this morning, as you're there and I'm standing here, let me just say that, that on the radar out there, unless the Lord Jesus comes, there's going to come a moment, and it may be soon, it may be a long time from now, but there'll come a moment when people will be gathered together at your funeral, and they will be reminiscing about about you. And I want to ask you this question this morning. In their mind, how are you known? By your family members. How are you known by your friends? How are you known by the people with whom you work? How are you known uh, by your, your neighbors? How are you known by your business associates outside the office or outside the home? If, if people were to gather together and talk about you and say, well, uh, you know, we want this to be a Christian uh, memorial celebration and, and Brother Tom or Brother Michael or Brother Ken or Brother Garrett or whoever, we, we, you know, you're going to honor the Lord with what you say, but don't, don't forget to mention how mom liked to do this or do that or how she would always say this or say that. How would you be known. That's the topic this morning. Are we clear on that? We got that firmly in our minds? All right, we're going to think about it. The Apostle Paul made no bones about how he wanted to be known. And by the way, he was pretty much known in accordance with his wishes. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 1 where three times he tells them what he is. He repeatedly says, I am, I am, I am. So look with me, if you will, please, at verse 14 of Romans chapter 1. Paul starts out by saying, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise 
and the foolish. So, he says, for my part, I like uh, the, the King James there, as much as in me is, I am eager. That word eager, prothumos, we get our word thermos from that. It means it, it's boiling inside me. So, as for my part, as much as in me is, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So I am under obligation, number one. Number two, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. Number three, look at verse 16, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed, he says, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And by the way, the best way of reading that would be from faith to faith to faith to faith. In other words, uh, he's wanting you to know that everyone who will in faith respond to the gospel. It is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man, or you may have, but the just shall live by faith. Father, I pray that every one of us will realize this is no little issue. How are we known? Not only how are we known on earth, but how are we known in heaven? What do you say about us? That's the ultimate issue. Thank you, Lord, that the Apostle Paul makes it so clear that there there are several issues that ought to mark our lives. People ought to associate us with these characteristics. And I pray that as we unfold those in the next few moments that your Holy Spirit will speak to every heart in this room, those watching, and Lord, that it would be from faith to faith to faith that people would reach out and embrace what you say in your word the truth of it, and embrace Jesus as Savior if they've never done that, but also embrace the obligation of sharing that wonderful message with others. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your wonderful and blessed and precious and holy name. Amen. How are you known? If people, right now you have a reputation. If people were to gather together and just discuss you, uh, your church friends or your neighbors or your family members, what would stand out? Something would stand out in their mind. Maybe several things. What would stand out in their mind about you? I have, um, I'm sorry to say, I have, I have seen the good and the bad and the ugly when it comes to funerals and memorial services, right? There, there are sometimes when people cannot say enough. In fact, I, I, I did a funeral not too long ago where one after the other said, he led me to Christ. He told me about Jesus. He called me one night and said he had an urgent issue he needed to talk about. And over coffee, we talked about the Lord Jesus, and I received Christ as my Savior. There are other times when people don't even get together. I've done funerals where scarcely anyone showed up, and I think some of the people who showed up just wanted to make sure that that body was really in the casket and not coming out. Uh, 
People have a reputation. You have a reputation. How are you known? Now, I want to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul's concerns ought to be your concerns and my concerns when it comes to our reputation. First of all, you and I ought to be known for the burden that constrains us. Paul said, I am under obligation. The word there means I have a heavy burden. We get our English word awful, pile, uh, from, from the word that is used here. He said, I am under a heavy obligation. Now, now please listen to me. I know of some men and women who are not known for a burden, but they're known for what bothers them. In fact, there's some things that they just get aggravated. I get upset when people do this or people do that. And folks pick up on that and they say, well, you know her. She never could stand this or she had never wanted to hear that or she never did like this or when we'd get together, she'd always gripe about this. There's some people who are known for what bothers them. I want to ask you if anybody is aware that there is a burden on your heart. Paul said, I have, a, I have a heavy burden. And what is it? He said, I am under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and foolish. And by the way, that was the, the entire spectrum. His burden was what? It was personal. I am under God obligation. It was profound. He said, Greeks and barbarians, wise, foolish, everybody in between. I, I am under obligation to everybody I see who's alive. And it was prominent. You couldn't get close to the Apostle Paul without, without hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was personal and profound and prominent, this burden that he had in his life. That's the way my grandmother was known. Now, I, 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 had, I, I got to grow up knowing both my grandfathers and both my grandmothers on my mom's side and dad's side. Not everybody does that. Our society is so crazy now. Not everybody does. But I had wonderful grandparents and aunts and uncles and parents. And I'm so I am so grateful to God for that. But one grandmother in particular, in particular was known for the fact that she was burdened that other people come to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. I mean, when we, even at her, I, I preached her funeral. And, and it, was, it was just it, everybody knew that was, that was on her heart. When I was 16 years of age, my granddad and grandmother, knowing that somebody needed to take me off my parents' hands, called and said, we want to go on a road trip. Would you like to drive? Well, saying to a 16-year-old who just got his license, Garrett, do you want to drive? <laughs> do I want to drive? And so it was sort of like, you know, we got in this car and my grandmother was in the back. My granddad was over here. And they, they said, now, don't go over 55. And so there I was in this 1957 Plymouth. Looked like a rooster going down the, the highway. I looked so good in that car. I, I, I just had so much fun. And I just heard story after story. But my grandmothers were always about people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And she tried to figure out creative ways to, to make that happen. We got out to Carlsbad Cavern, and uh, 
She said, now, I'm not going to go down in the cavern. You know, she was elderly at the time. And she said, I want you and your granddaddy to go in the cavern. She said, Tommy, you brought your ukulele with you. I played a baritone ukulele. I was learning how to play a baritone ukulele. And she said, here's what I want you to do. She said, I want you to take that ukulele with you. What? On this tour of this cavern. She said, take that ukulele. I said, Grandma, I'm going to take that ukulele down there. She said, yes. She said, there's a moment. I've been on this tour. There's a moment where they turn out all. You get in a cave, and they turn out all the lights, and it's just dark. And she said, I want you to play Kumbaya on the ukulele. And she said, then you can, you can tell people about Jesus. Well, I did not do that. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I, you know I, 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 no 16-year-old boy is going to do that. And so I, I didn't. And, uh, of course, I never will know how many people might have come to know Christ if I had done that. But I just use that as an illustration. My grandmother, she, she would witness to a fire hydrant. As a matter of fact, we, they lived in Fordyce on the Cotton Belt Railroad, and people would come up off the railroad. One time, a guy came to the front door and knocked on it, and she, you know, she said, yes, I can give you food. And she went back to the kitchen, started making a, a sandwich, and then came back burdened because she hadn't witnessed to him. And through the screen door, she looked at him, and she said, she said are you prepared to die? And the guy, eyes got big. <laughs> And he jumped over the porch rail and the hedge and ran down the street. She looked down. She had a knife with great jelly on. Well, but she couldn't wait to tell him about Jesus. Now, now those are, those are some, some sort of silly things. But then in her late 80s, she slipped and fell and broke her hip. And the year she died, she said to my granddad, A.P., his name was Aaron Pinkney. She said, A.P., if you'll take my Barca lounger to church and we can get the pastor to find me a little room during vacation Bible school, I'll sit there and you just tell the children, if anybody wants to know about Jesus, come to that room and I'll tell them. And before she died, she led over 12 people to the Lord in a little room with a broken leg, almost 90 years of age. How is she known? She was known for the burden that constrained her. Would anybody say that about you? Would anybody say about you that you were known for the boldness that compels you? Are you, are you a person that would, that would wade into a, tough situation so that you could share the gospel. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. So for my part, and the construction means there literally uh, as much as in me is with everything I am, I am eager, as I said a while ago, that's the word, we got our word thermos from that. I am eager to do what? To preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Look at the fervency. It's boiling in me, he said. Look, look at the focus. Here's what I want to do. I want to preach the gospel. And look how fearless this is. 
He said, I'm, I'm ready to come to Rome. I'm ready to come to the seat of everything that is against the gospel. I can't wait to get inside the city limits of the one town on this globe that hates Jesus and everything he stands for and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely fearless. Are you known for your fearlessness? Or can just about anything keep you from sharing the gospel? Well, it wouldn't be appropriate here. Well, this would be embarrassing. I, I, I want to just share a testimony. It's by way of confession as well as, as, as an illustration here. Uh, our, our family felt compelled by the Lord to go as missionaries to Zimbabwe in southeastern Africa. And... Uh, and to serve there. And some of you know the story. We stayed there for a while until our oldest daughter was very seriously injured in an automobile accident. Well, one of the first things we did when we got there was to settle in to learning the Ndebele language, which is an extract of the Zulu language. It's a wonderful language. It has some letters in it like, that's a letter, that's another letter. And uh, when you learn how, to, it's a beautiful language when it's spoken. I absolutely love it. Well. It, fortunately, Southern Baptist with our International Mission Board, one of the things that we ask our missionaries to do is to become proficient in the language. It's not like, yeah, well, you're willing to go over there and just stumble around and, and come back 10 years later and still not even know the language. You, you need to become as much as you can in, embedded in that society. So we require that right off the bat you learn the language. And as part of that, there comes this time when we expect you to, to learn it so well that you can fluently share the gospel in that language. So here we were studying away, and we're over there to be mission, over there to share the gospel. And there came that time when I realized God was booting me out of the nest, so to speak, and wanting me to start sharing the gospel. I mean, that's why I was there in the Nabeli language, and I knew the Time God probed me, just put his finger against my heart and said, it's time. And, and it was a morning, I was sitting there, and I knew the person with whom the Lord wanted me to share the gospel. Now, now, talk about a lack of fearlessness. It wasn't with some uh, body in the Zimbabwean government or army or anything like that. I remembered that always downtown, close to the bank, there was, there was a guy, he was a beggar. He, he literally was a blind beggar. And he would sit there with his wall, with his back against a wall. And uh, he would, he, 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 he had, a, had a, everything that you think of as a person who has no eyesight, who's begging, and he, in rags, and, and old fearless me, I decided that's the person with whom I'll share the gospel. You know, not, I wasn't going to school. Oh, I, I did have the privilege of leading my language teacher to the Lord earlier, but, but, but he was more of an English-speaking guy. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I had to, and through interpreters, we saw people come to the Lord, but in the language. And so what did I do? I thought, okay, I'm going to go down this guy's blind and, you know, fearless, bold Tom, I'm going to share the gospel with a blind beggar who's got his back against a wall. So I, I got on a motorcycle and I headed to downtown Bulawayo, Zimbabwe uh, to find that guy. 
And on the way down there, the thought occurred. Now think about it. You sent me over there to be your missionary. The thought occurred to me. Well, maybe he's not there today. So I went around. I, I came to the block. There he was. So I thought, well, I'm going to just think about this a little bit. So I took my motorcycle and I went around the block and I came back. And I knew the Lord was saying, him, you share the gospel. In the Zulu, in the Ndebele language. And so uh, I parked my motorcycle and I went over and sat down beside him. Now, I got to tell you something about me sitting on the ground. I can't do like some of you all do. I see some of y'all wind yourself up in a tight little old knot. You know, you cross your legs and stuff like that. <laughs> Not me. Oh, man, I could tell you stories. I got one leg that always sticks out this way, you know, or I'll, I'll try to get it all hunched up. <clears throat> it goes out that way. I just, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I don't know whether, I never could do it. It's just the way I am built. And so I sat down and leaned back against him, and I introduced myself to him. My leg sticks out in the sidewalk, and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to make this, I've got to make this quick. And so I asked him in the Zulu language, if he ever made the discovery of knowing Jesus in a personal way for himself, or was he still in the process? And, you know, he said he didn't know much about that. And so I began sharing the gospel, and, I, and the more I shared, the more I loved it. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad I'm getting to practice in this little, you know, in the shadow back against the wall with a blind beggar, I'm able to tell him the gospel. This is really a great way to practice. I did not realize with my foot jammed out on the sidewalk, I was collecting quite a crowd. And so I looked up and there was a crowd around this guy. I was in the middle of the gospel, fearless missionary that I was. I just continued the gospel. And I asked him, is this something you think you'd like to do? And he said, yeah. And then out of the crowd, I heard another, Yebo fundus, Yebo fundus, Yebo. And I realized several people had stood there, heard the entire gospel, and were just waiting for an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior. On my motorcycle, on the way back to the house, the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, you've come all the way to this corner of the world to share the gospel. Now, are you going to do this boldly or am I going to have to kick you out of the house every morning? Are you known for your boldness? Paul said, as much as in me is, I am eager to share the gospel, the boldness that compels you. Now, let me mention one other thing, and this ought to be a part of your life and a part of your testimony. They ought to be able to stand up at a funeral service and say this about you, and that is that you are known, and I am known, for the belief that consumes us. In other words, we believe something. And that belief is the biggest thing in our life to us. Nothing is more important than that belief. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul says. I am not, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is it? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man or the just shall live by faith. 
Now, now there are two things the Apostle Paul knew about the gospel, and these consumed him. He spent his life. You say, well, that was his calling. Well, the Apostle Paul made it clear it's supposed to be our calling. The Lord Jesus made it clear it is supposed to be our calling. The last thing, as you're going, make disciples, he said. Are you consumed with with these beliefs. Now, here's, here's what the Apostle Paul was right on, and here's what you and I need to be right on. First of all, we need to be right on the nature of the gospel, what the gospel is, okay? Paul says, it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I, I want to use an illustration here, and, and, I, and I, I'm trusting that the Lord is going to communicate this to your heart. What does it mean when it means it is the power of God unto salvation? All right, let's, let's imagine. We were talking about power plants the other day. Let, let's imagine that here is a power plant, enormous power plant. It, is, it generates electricity. It might be a solar plant. It might, may be, it may run on oil or gas or coal. It may be hydropower. But there is this intricate mechanism. It is designed. It produces, it produces power. And the purpose for that is so that power can go someplace. That power can do something. So then let's go over here to a neighborhood, and here is a house. And the house has been built. It is, it's wired to utilize that power. It's got wires, it's got switches, light bulbs are already there. But what has to happen in order for the power that is generated here to be effective in the house that has the light bulbs over here? What has to happen? All right, a line has to be laid between the generator and the house. That line in the scripture, when the Bible says it is the power of God unto salvation, that line is the gospel, the gospel story. The only way that what God did by sending his perfectly righteous and just sinless son to this earth to die for you and me, we who are sinners, we who are destined to die, we who are destined to live out eternity in darkness. And Jesus came. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He was raised from the dead. He is alive today. He promises to bring light and life and forgiveness and cleansing and eternal life to anyone who will believe on him. That's already happened. It is the generating station already at work. And out here in the world, we have house after house or person after person after person in darkness. What has to happen? The line has to be laid. What is that? The gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. You get the picture? To everyone who believes. Carl F.H. Henry said, the gospel is good news only if it gets there in time. So what is the necessity of the gospel? That's the nature of the gospel. It's, it's already an accomplished thing. 
Christ has already died. He doesn't have to do one other thing for a person to come to know eternal life and forgiveness and cleansing of sin. Not one other thing. What has to happen? We have to share the gospel. But what about the individual? Here's the necessity of the gospel. To everyone who believes. From faith to faith to faith. Here it is. The line has been laid to you. You know, you have heard. You cannot say to God, I didn't know Jesus died for my sin. I didn't know that if I would repent and believe in him, I would have forgiveness and cleansing and abundant life and eternal life. You cannot say that. You have heard it. The line has been laid this morning to you, to your house. What is waiting? Faith to faith to faith. Like going through a house, flipping on a switch. There's light, another, there's light, another, there's light. Or going through a neighborhood, this house, that house, there's light. You get the picture? From faith to faith to faith. You know, a preacher is not exempt from having to learn and apply the truths that he preaches in the Word of God. This is not just some textbook that I'm to get up and teach about whether I care about it or not. I would have to tell you that in, in the preparation of sermons, the greatest changes in my life have taken place as I have prepared to preach the gospel. This message is no exception. Several weeks ago, when I began to prepare this message, I realized God was speaking to my heart. And so, uh, as Dinah would tell you, it's interesting. I, began, I, I thought, what, what does this mean? What is this meaning to me? And the Lord placed on my heart. I'm not a pastor of a church. Uh, but I am a pastor of a considerable family. Diane and I have six kids, and with their spouses, that's 12. And those six kids have 33 grandkids. Some of them have grown up, so with, with their, their nine more spouses into that group. And so if you take our kids and our grandkids, and we've got a bunch of great-grandkids, not there yet. We take our kids and our grandkids and their spouses all together it makes a group of 54 people. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, this year, this year, Tom, I want you to hear out of the mouth of every one of those 54 people their testimony of faith in Christ. Last night, I picked up the telephone and called a, a college girl, daughter of our kids who are missionaries in Southeast Asia. Called her on her college campus. Had a wonderful talk with her, but said, Jane Ellen, could you share with me your testimony of faith in Christ? And she did. Earlier, I had talked to, I had talked to my daughter who is in, in the Middle East, and I said, would you share with me? I know, I was there. She said, you sure were. And she said, but here's how it happened. 
I talked to my son, who, who is a, a Navy chaplain and a pastor in Hawaii. And I said, hey, John, remind me again about how you came to know Christ. And he told me, he said, Dad, and he told me the entire story. Called Diana's uh, son-in-law, Eric Christensen, who's a pastor. I said, Eric, I don't think I ever heard. I just want to hear you tell me. I need to know for sure. I want to hear your testimony of faith in Christ. And also talk to her daughter. Now, that's a little thing. But I want to make sure that everyone at least in my family, at least in my family, knows that there is a burden that constrains me. There's a boldness that compels me, and there is a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ that consumes me. So that at least when they're talking with each other, they'll say, this about granddad. He sure cares about whether we know Jesus as our Savior. Would you bow your head? Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit right now would do your work in our hearts. Your work in our hearts. While I pray for you, I'm going to ask our, our men to stand here at the front. And let me just say that Jesus said, if a man confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But if a man denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's, that's Jesus speaking. I wonder this morning, I just wonder, if there, if there are those here, and you, and you would be one of them who would say, you know something? Brother Tom, as, as you're preaching this morning, I realized God was laying a line to my heart. Jesus has already died. He's risen from the grave. The price of my sin has been paid. And the gospel has been shared with me. The power of God and the salvation. What's waiting is for me to receive Christ by faith is my Savior. And just sitting here where I am this morning, I want to do that. So would you just pray for me? If you would say that this morning, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? I, amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Others. I, the line has been laid to my heart. I want to do that. I want to ensure that I know Christ is my Savior. Anyone else to join thee? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see you. Others. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I, I want to embrace Christ as my Savior. Would you do this, those of you? I, I want to pray right now for you, Father. It's amazing. In this morning service, right now at this moment, people with hands raised saying, I... I realize the line has been laid to my heart. What has been waiting is for me to say yes to Jesus. I do that. Just like I would, I would take all this incredible power and, and it be funneled down to bring light to my house. Oh, Jesus, bring light to my heart right now. 
So I'm going to ask us all in a spirit of prayer to stand. But those of you who raised your hand, would you just come tell one of these men at the front, just come say, this morning, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. As I said, Jesus is the one who said, if a man confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father is in heaven. So just come tell a counselor. We're going to sing. You just come even now. Don't wait for us to sing. It could be that you know that you need to become a part of this church family. Well, come tell them. Are there some other decision you want to make? Come speak to one of these counselors.